Before I begin, I'd like to pay my respects to the traditional elders, past, present and future of the lands on which Muna Arts Centre is broadcasting. My name is Sister Zaizanda and I have created this special uh, pre-recorded community radio segment for you on the lands of the Wurundjeri and the Bunurong peoples of Southeast Victoria. So I'd like to shout out the Kulin Nations on whose homes I am a guest. I am originally from Zimbabwe and I've been living in Australia for many, many years now. I am a storyteller, a curator of the Pan-African Poets Cafe and also a host of African High Tea. So what is the Pan-African Poets Cafe? What is African High Tea? Well, it's just my way of contributing to the development of African literatures right here in Australia. I just felt like we needed to have more of that. So what's ahead for you on this show? Well, it's actually a sneak peek into a podcast that I am working on at the moment, a podcast which will have content from African Haiti and content from the Pan-African Poets Cafe. And this podcast is called Life Seen Through a Sister's Eye, as in Sister's Eye Seen. <laughs> so, yep, you get the special peek, sneak peek, rather. <laughs> I always get those words mixed up back to front. But um, I've got a very special guest for you. We'll be talking to Mad Professor, who is legendary dub music producer based in South London. And he's been running the uh, oldest or the longest running uh, studio from South London. So it's turned 40 just this year. And he was lovely enough to send through some pre-releases of his rhythm series. Every year, Mad Professor, the Ariwa Studios, puts out a rhythm series. And I've got pre-releases of the 2019 rhythm series, which only goes out on the 31st of January 2020. So you're going to get a lovely sneak peek into some of that music as well. So you'll have to tune into the end of the show then, because that's when we'll be playing that music. But we're going to start off with a track of the 2018 rhythm series, which is called Midnight, which I believe was inspired by a Barry White song called Midnight. But let's uh, let's ask my professor about that and uh, let's find out a little more about his experience of setting up a black owned studio and how you do that over 40 years. I mean, look, I'm a sister out here trying to do my thing, so I need as much advice as possible. Keep it locked. Yeah, I haven't heard this track since I made it last year, actually. Ah, it's a beautiful one. I love listening to this. Tell us about the process of making this particular track. Oh, this track is influenced from a Barry White song that went on midnight and you, you know, in this deep baritone voice. There's no place I would rather be than... (laughs) With you at midnight and you. <laughs> oh, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, and it went into this kind of jazzy just da 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 real kind of soulful groove. It is that you know only the sentence really was um, active. This kind of creativity, you know. 
No, that's amazing. Yeah. You worked with some pretty phenomenal artists in your time. Yes, yes, yes. I would agree. I would agree. Um, sure. And I guess, you know, I mean, my first question to you would be, you, you run the longest running uh, black studio in London. Yeah, yeah. Or in the UK. A little yeah, 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 yeah. In, in UK, South London, in South London. Uh, Croydon. Uh, though I spent four years in um, Peckham, near to Brixton. Mm -hmm. And um, those was like, because... I started around 1980, then 82 I moved to Peckham and I spent four heavy years because Peckham is like, or it used to be like a rough ghetto. And then I left in 86 when I had a burglary. Oh my gosh. And I mm. got out, yeah. I got out. I was going to get out of the business, but then I decided uh, back loan. Yeah. What and, is that? Um, what, I always find that um, there's always a point that, uh, like, a sole proprietor, uh, you know, will think yeah. it's time to hang up <laughs> my coat. It's yeah. time to call it quits. But something keeps us going. What is that? Uh, it's hard to tell what, you know, because I felt like that uh, in the past 40 years. I probably felt like that about. Eight or ten times, yeah, I felt like giving up. Uh, sometimes you feel all the elements are just stacked against you, mm. and there's no point in carrying on. And sometimes you think um, everything is changing, and you haven't changed, and you. And sometimes you just feel out of, um, you know. Out of fashion, out of fashion, because music is a very trendy thing. It's very fashionable, you know. Mm. Um, yeah. What are some of the barriers um, that a studio in South London might face, for example? Well, um, the first barrier uh, when you want to make music uh, maybe it's not so so much of by these days, but when I started, is to find a place that is um, that you could really make music or noise mm. uh, without interrupting anyone and without being interrupted by anyone, you know. And in 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 London, that is always a hard to find, you know. It was in the, in the 70s when I started to look, it was tough. And it was very tough in the 80s when I moved back to Croydon. And now, because I've got friends who actually look for premises, now it's even tougher. And of course, financially, it's, it's always like a, like a hurdle because it takes a lot of money to equip the studio with soundproofing and acoustically, you know, so mm. it's so it's tough. It's tough. You need money, and you need to find the premises. Then you need the business structure to actually make it work. You know, without the business, you won't be in business for very long. Yeah. 
you recorded quite a few people. I mean, it wasn't just regular artists yeah. or dub music for a long time. No. Was that part of the no. um, the strategy for being able to survive that long? Uh, I, I mean, maybe it worked as a policy, but it wasn't a deliberate thing. I recorded a lot of different people because I was interested. Mm. <laughs> I mean, like the aforementioned track, the Barry White. That was the kind of thing I would listen to. Like you'd sit in my car right. and like uh, say, say around 78, 79, you'd hear like some King Tubbies, you'd hear Barry White, you'd hear uh, the OJs, you you know, you'd hear a lot of stuff. You know, you'd hear soul, you'd hear reggae, you'd hear jazz. You know, so you there know, men singers, you there know, women singers, you know. Yeah, man, you have know, variety of stuff. It sounds like uh, we tend to compartmentalize music a lot more now than than was the case when you were um, starting out. Or... Well, there are more compartments now. <laughs> mm-hmm. For sure, there's, there's a lot more compartments. When I was, like, when I started, to make music, you couldn't, I mean, there was nothing like, like dancehall never existed as a, as a, um, as a format. There was no, no such word as dancehall. There was no such word as digital. Mm. There was no such word like, um, I mean, dubstep or, drum and bass or jungle, those words didn't exist, you know? And 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 even in like soul, I mean, um, okay, we 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 had soul, but we didn't have things like hip hop and rap. Mm. They they were they were they were they were all new titles, you know? Mm. And I so, guess um like dub has has sort of parented a lot of this electronic music. Yeah, man. Well, dub is like one of the the four runners of the electronic music, for sure. Sure, it's like. So how does Jamaica do it again? <laughs> or the Caribbean, I should say. How does how does how does that happen again? That um. Well. Oh, that that what? that you know, uh, such a small population from relatively to the, the entire world is able to have such a massive influence on what we're listening to. Well, I think it's the it's the competitiveness. You know, like you have a good singer that would come out, and then um, <clears throat> because of the competition, other people. Want to want to sound as good as that singer, and because of the location near to United States of America, you know, very very close to America, so people people um, just wanted to keep up keep up with the U.S. And the U.S. of course had things like tax records, had um, uh, Motown. At Philadelphia, mm. I mean, I mean, black music in the sixties was very creative, and in the seventies, very very creative. 
see you are doing all sorts of things and see you are trying the best to, um, to make hits. Somebody would make a hit on a style, say, in uh, Chicago and someone else would try and conquer that uh, across the lake in Detroit, you know. Give us an insight yeah. into um, into your sort of adventures in music and and making music and being creative because, I mean, you had to create the equipment to, to create the sounds that you wanted. Well, create equipment, uh, build or build or buy. <laughs> mm. Buy if you have a rich father. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you need money. You need money. Or you need a good electronic uh, technician to work with and you yourself need to be building stuff, you know? Mm. Yeah, it's not easy. So when did you start uh, building? You were quite young. Yeah, man. I started from less than 10 years old. I was building radios and television. Well, not so much easy, but radios and stuff like that. Yeah. And where did that passion come from? Uh, It came from a curiosity. Curiosity that wanted to know how everything worked, mm. you know. So I, like in our house, we had like a radio, and I was curious as to how the radio worked. Mm. So I was saying to my mom, <laughs> where's the man Where's the man in the radio? Uh-huh. And from that, I went on and I, Open the radio to find a man in the radio. Yeah. Your mum must have been really all. happy with you that day. <laughs> <laughs> I got licks. Yeah, I can I got imagine. A <laughs> I mean, radios, I well, radios easy, like, you know, was, that's not an easy commodity to come by. No, not at that time. No. I mean, it was the. <laughs> Pride of every household, you know. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the center sometimes, yeah. even hey. <laughs> mm. For sure. So who so I was... got a beaten for them. Oh, <laughs> but it didn't stop you from. Uh... No, no, no. Were you able to put it back together again? Uh, no, not that one. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, who were well, some of your uh, early music musical influences? What were you listening to? What kind of records were you buying? I, well, don't talk about buying because to buy records, that when I started listening, getting interested in music, you need to have a good bank account as mm. well. <laughs> so, no, I I just had to hear stuff on the radio. Thing I couldn't I couldn't buy I couldn't buy records. Couldn't. So. Um, I was listening to like um, Max Romeo, um, Prince Buster, Mighty Sparrow, Lord Kitchener, all those Calypso people like that. Mm. And from America, from America, I was listening to like. Um, Oh, Marvin Gaye mm. and Temptations, that sort of thing, yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, man. Listen, you know, it was really soul and reggae. Yeah. You, you, you would either hear soul or you'd hear reggae. The music landscape wasn't... Okay, you'd hear some pop stuff. You'd hear, like, some Beatles and Rolling Stones. But we never liked that kind of stuff, you know? Really? We couldn't. Oh. Because I don't know who was listening to Beatles. I mean, they would, they would play it in the Caribbean, you know, but I get the impression it was, I mean, black people were really listening to soul and um, rock steady and later on reggae. We definitely weren't listening to um, pop music. Interesting. Maybe one or two songs might have got through, but you know, most of it didn't. That's really interesting. It was um, so I grew up in Zimbabwe. It was the exact opposite. I think we were listening okay. to a fair bit of of rock, and uh, the Beatles were definitely in there as well. And so right. Made it well, in. I think Zimbabwe when you were growing up would have probably been on the Ian Smith. Well, there we go. So, <laughs> that yeah. says a lot. So yeah. you were definitely colonized. <laughs> well, yeah, and you know, you know, obviously the uh, the kind of music that you know people like Marvin Gaye with his lyrics, the consciousness that was coming through there might have been a bit too, a bit too much for the the white supremacist yeah. governments that we had at the time. Exactly. I mean, I know Bob Marley made the um, the. Theme song for independence, not mm-hmm. yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, that's um that's part of the, the story of the revolution is that song Zimbabwe for sure. Um I'm I'm curious as well to ask you a little bit about uh I mean you're in Perth right now and you're going to be coming down to Melbourne for a number of shows. Uh this weekend yes. you'll be playing at the Jamaica Music and Food Festival. Yes, yes, yes. So, yeah. so what's your experience in Australia been like so far? Well, you know, I'm, I'm so such a regular in Australia. It's hard to really ask me this. You know, <laughs> you got to ask this question to someone who come for the first time. You know, mm. because I first visited Australia in. Um, 1990, yeah, when I did four shows, yeah. So I've been coming here quite often since then. Been a long time, haven't I? And and who who are those connections? Those uh, so we can talk. You know, shout out those people as well who've been bringing me out, and you know, yeah. You mean the people who made me come? Yeah. Well. I can't remember what I was doing, but I had a, um, it would have been a fax, because in those days it was, fax was the main method of communication. (laughs) And the fax came through the machine saying, oh, we would like to invite you to Australia to do four shows. I think it was in September. And, um, they said I could bring any artist I wanted to bring. So I I came with Maccabee mm-hmm. and we did um we did Sydney and 
Melbourne. I think basically two shows in each, in each city. I think when I um, chatted with Maccabee, he told me a little bit about this experience. Yes. Beautiful. Yes. Yeah, man. And at that point, there were there were not many reggae artists touring um, Australia. Mm-mm. And the houses were all colonialistic type of places, you know. <laughs> mm. It's quite, you know, wooden. Wooden with breezy kind of air going through them, you know. Mm. And not too high either. Two, two stories, two floors, three floors. Yeah. It was very, very much a colonial type of um, situation. But yeah, we we enjoyed it. We were here for like two weeks, I think. Nice. You know, and it was an experience because by then we were going to America, so it was similar to America, but similar to England as well because the streets were all wide, but... Um, they drive from the same side as England. So yeah, enjoyable, enjoyable. Oh, so you can see how that culture has been exported here as well. Yes, yes, mm. yes, yes. I mean, uh, Australia definitely is like a satellite of the UK. Mm. Definitely. Mm. Yeah, you can feel that. You can definitely feel that. And the other times that you came after the nineties. After the 1990 show? After 1990, I came again, I think, 94 or 95. With, um, by then, they re- released the, they just released the massive attack on um, no protection. Mm. I came then again with Maccabee, and I brought um, Nolan Irie that time. And uh, one of our female singers, a lady called Sister Audrey, Yes. She came along as well. We played some Sister Audrey yeah. at the start of uh, the show. English Girl. Right. Mm. English Girl? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. That's her. Yeah, man. Mm. She came She came along and it was great. That would have been around 94 or 95. Something like that. Or just 95. So I see... Yeah, we I, did, we you, did Byron Bay as well. Byron at that Bay, point. yep. Yeah. And you were here last year. Yes, I was here last year. And before then and last year, I must have been here about 15 times. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, so I've been... I mean, I've played, like, Perth. I've played Brisbane. I've played Adelaide. I've done Walmart a few times. Mm. I've done Newcastle. I've done Cairns. I've done Gopos, um, Sunshine Coast. Yeah, many, many places. That's amazing. I don't think very many artists get to get um, no. to travel to so many places in Australia. It's not an easy place to tour. It's so no, big. it's not an easy place to tour. Mm. And um, a lot of times you have to make up your mind that you're going to play for not very many people unless it's a festival. Mm. I mean, I also done some big festivals like Subsonic. Mm. I done Lizard, is it Lizard Serpent or something? Like that. Rainbow Serpent. Mm-hmm. Rainbow Serpent, yeah. I done um, Fives on the Summer's Day. 
I done big deal. So, you know, done a, done a few. So you're well on the well on the festival circuit at the moment. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. I played Tasmania as well. Oh, Tasmania's yeah. a good one. Well, let's um let's listen to Africa is Zion because uh, this is off back to Africa Volume One, Sister Audrey. Africa is Zion, right? Okay. And yeah. then maybe yeah. you can tell us about your festival that you're planning as well. Yes, yes, yes. Well, After. it's not going on anymore because of oh. Thomas Cook, but um, yeah, because oh, that's right, Thomas Cook. Were, mm. were, were booked with Thomas Cook, and yeah, they went down and we're in, in the state of being refunded what we spent out so you know oh that's 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 unfortunate but um it's a festival that you've held before so maybe we can talk a little bit about the inspiration behind it Sister Audrey, back to Africa, Volume One. We've got Matt Professor on the line. Matt Professor, yes, you have been working with a lot of artists like Sister Audrey for a long time now. Yeah, man, I know Audrey from um, from more or less when I started the studio from the front room days. 
she was around and uh, you know I was really looking for things to like um, put on tape and learn learn about recording. She was one of the first you know artists. Yeah, yeah, very 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 good, very good. We learned together. That's pretty amazing. It's, it feels like it's a it's a family almost. It's it almost seems like you're nurturing quite a few people who come through, even the younger generation. Is that the right impression? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. That's it because it is because you don't necessarily work to like paperwork or contract every minute. You know, you work you work when you feel like working, and you don't feel like working. You go yeah, with the yeah. energy. Yes. You're yes, artists, basically. <laughs> <laughs> we have our own flow. We have our own flow. Sometimes things happen at three in the morning. Sometimes they happen at 12 midday. You never know. It's just so, yeah, you just go. You just go with it. That's right. Yeah. So let's talk about Back to Africa. I mean, yeah, unfortunately, this, this year has been canceled because of, you know, uh, commercial issues yeah. with your travel agent um, yeah, going yeah, under. Yeah, the airline. The airline. Yeah, well... Yeah, well, Thomas Cook, they were the main carriers to the to the Gambia, like all season, and because they're flying to the Gambia by using planes that normally go to um, Spain, because of that, they could they managed to bring flights down to around three hundred pounds a person, right? So it was very much appealing. And of course, Thomas Cook went bankrupt back at the end of September, mm. and it just um, put us in a funny position because we'd already booked our charter tickets with them, and um, yeah, they weren't going anymore to Gambia, so we're just sorting out the refund for those tickets. You know? mm. But yeah, that's unfortunate. I'm. I'm... I'm sorry to hear that that's sure. happened. Um, there's yeah. a vision for why you want to have or hold a festival in Africa, though. Yeah, well, you know, we're of the generation, the first um, teenage youth generation that embraced Africa, you know, as well as Caribbean people. Because prior to our generation, most Caribbean people, they were always taught, oh, Africa. No, we don't want to know Africa. We don't want to go to Africa, you know. Africans, uh, and they think of all the negative things of Africa, right? Mm. But coming up through the 60s with the advent of Stokely Carmichael and even people like Miriam Makiba, who of course kind of spearheaded the whole Makiba inverted commas, Makiba hairstyle, which is nothing else but an Afro. <laughs> because prior to that, Black people uh, were afraid of showing their own hair, mm. and many of them still afraid of, like using their own hair. They think um, they've got to press it up and things like that. So, I was one of the first generation that embraced Africa as a place that we have to go to, and. Um, yeah, it just, as soon as I had the chance, I thought, let me go to Africa. Let me introduce my 
kids to Africa and see how it goes from there. And the first year, we had about 400 people coming in from England who paid their own money in common. That's pretty to impressive. Come to enjoy themselves. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, logistically, it's not easy to play in Africa because, as you see, we have the elements of the aircraft and we've got, like, weather issues. You know, there's always, there's always some issue. It's not. It's not easy. If it's easy, then we do it often. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not easy. So, what is um and and how how's your family taken to to those trips or and why the gambling? Well, I mean, I know the tickets were you know fairly affordable. Yeah. Well, they're all they're all um, embracing Africa. I mean, my kids all embraced Africa. They go, um, you know, they like to go there with their friends and hang out. We've got a place in Gambia, you know. My wife, she wasn't really that keen on Gambia. She's not a, you know, but, you know, in this world, we're entitled to our our, our own opinions, you know. <laughs> uh, she wasn't necessarily sharing my opinion about Africa. So, you know, <laughs> it's just one of those things. Mm-hmm. And why Gambia? Well, Gambia, if you look at the map, is the nearest English-speaking African territory. Mm-hmm. It's like a five-and-a-half-hour flight from London. And, you know, it's the same time, time zone as London, yeah, UK. Mm. Nice, you know. So just some very practical reasons. Yes, yes. Yeah. I want to talk about that, um, sort of that return um, ethic or that spirit that comes through in a lot of philosophies or reggae music, where it's either a mental return to Africa or, or a physical return to Africa. What exactly, what's that experience been like for you? Do you find that it's grounded you personally, or what? What have you yeah, seen to Well, you know, for years, as black people from the Caribbean, because um, I was born in South America, so mm. for years, black people in North America, like um, United States and the Caribbean, where Jamaica, Trinidad, Barbados, and um, even Brazil. For years, we hadn't a clue about um, embracing Africa, you know. We were we were just told, oh, you know, all sorts of negative things about Africa. So going to Africa, you discover, for, first of all, a lot of the food that we had in the Caribbean, mm. they have them in Africa. Mm. Like things like fufu and dumpling and this. They've got them in Africa. So, you know, um, to me, it's like coming home. Mm. And um, then you get to know the people, and then you try to do things to help the people, you know? You want to you work with, with the people, not work for, you know, not have them working for us or anything. We want to bring, we want to grow up with them, you know? Mm. 
And going to Africa, I've learned a lot about that. I also learned that there's a lot of wastage, like the amount of fruits that grow in Africa and the fruits just fall on the ground and they don't do nothing. You know, they don't pick them. They could pick them, package them, send them to Europe and make a lot of money. They don't like to do that, you know. So, um, like I said, it's a good eye-opener to see, uh, you know, what the people um, should be doing and what they're not doing. Hmm. I am I am a child of farmers, and um, exporting was big on okay. the agenda at some point. But uh, I guess barriers to trade are a huge issue between Africa and, and the West, you know? It's still a big way that we're controlled. So sometimes it ends up being more expensive to send your yeah. fresh fruit and veg over, <laughs> you know, because of subsidies yeah. and all sorts of crazy things that are used to protect the uh, the American, the North American and the uh, the Western European markets. Yeah. So it's, yeah. I think those those kind of issues are always like really, it's always really tricky when we think about uh, how difficult and challenging it is even to just... You know, for people of African descent who are now spreading mm-hmm. over the world to just even be able to go back to the continent is like such a challenge. Yeah. And then for people on the continent itself to then be able to then connect as well. Um, yeah. It seems like these are these are huge barriers and hurdles, but we persist. Yeah. Well, it's good that um, we're facing that. Now we're taking it on board because, you know, People need to know, mm. and they need to know where they're coming from and why some people look like this and some people look like that, you know. Mm. Mm. No, yeah, all that is important. It is. It's it's vital. Um, I think it's something that I just took for granted because I grew up on the continent. Uh, but, you know, like as a lot of people like myself discover, when you leave, you're no longer just a woman. You're suddenly a black woman, whatever that yeah. black is supposed to mean, you know. To whoever's looking yeah. at you, you know, it's like okay. <laughs> well, they either want to uh, limit you in what you could do, or they want to put you in a box, mm. you know. Mm. And, and <laughs> yeah, you know, um, there's so much that we've got to learn, and there's so much that even black people has got to like wake up to the fact and um, and yeah, develop themselves. Yeah, they've got to deserve themselves more. Mm. Yeah, there's 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 work to be done, and a lot of it is our responsibility as well. You know. Yeah. Because um, yeah. we we know the issues, we know how we got to where we got to, but we also have to take up the tools and get ourselves mm. yeah. to the next place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show our time is actually up take care my yeah. professor thank you so much okay. for your time take care and thank you for being a fan oh it's well, absolutely it's, right. <laughs> it's an honor thank you very much <laughs> thank you bye all right bye bye so that was my professor just having a chat with us about you know his times that he's visited australia setting up a studio in South London, um, some of the barriers that he's faced, um, the joys of reconnecting to the African continent, and just sharing, you know, a few stories about his childhood and taking radios apart. 
Uh, we're gonna lead out with Lady of Magic Dub, also coming out from uh, Professor Studios at Arua label. So just to remember that uh, this is the 40th year of the Arua Studios operating. That's the longest running black owned studio in South London. Matt Professor, as he's told you already, has worked with some phenomenal artists over the years. Massive Attack, probably bringing him more to fame um, more broadly. But he's been to Australia over 15 times and uh, even Tasmania, he's been there. So um, as I lead out with the music, we're going to listen to Red Light Dub specifically and um, one other track which I'll announce at the end. But I just want to say a big shout out to Sisters Aquasmatica for inviting me to submit a program for their outside broadcast at Muna Art Centre. Such an amazing initiative. I wish I could have been there in the youth with you all, but I was in spirit. It's been wonderful watching all the different projects that have run through uh, the broadcast over the last two weeks. So yes, keep on enjoying the music and I hope this is a wonderful way for you to wind up what has been an incredible, phenomenal effort. Thank you so much. My name is Sister Zai. You can find me on all the socials and definitely stay in touch because yes, that live scene through a sister's eye podcast will be coming out very soon and there'll be more content like this for you to find out about what the African diaspora and people on the African continent are up to creatively, constantly producing and recreating culture.
You're listening to a special sneak peek of Life Seen Through a Sister's Eye, an upcoming podcast produced by myself, Sister Zai, and this is a special sneak peek for Sisters Acousmatica, who are broadcasting from Muna Arts Center, and today is the last day of the broadcast, and I believe this is actually the last show, so I thought we'd go out with a bit of music and dancing, and this is not just any old music, these are pre-releases coming out of South London's Ariwa Studios, that's A-R-I-W-A Studios. Ariwa Studios has been run by Mad Professor for the past 40 years and we were lucky enough to have like a nice chat with him. Um, We started off listening to Red Light Dub, which is a track off the 2019 Rhythm Series and we just heard Motherland Calling. 
so let's see um who do we have on drums on drums we have horsemen on bass we've got steel on guitars a steel as well on keys we have cyrus ashanti sailor on percussion we have kush trombone vin gordon on buttons trumpet dave forward it was all recorded at ariwa studio one produced by mad professor so this if you're interested in hearing this it comes out on the 31st of january 2020 so we've got a nice sneak peek happening here and it's part of the annual rhythm and dub series from Ariwa, and it continues with some hard hinting punches uh, like most recordings from 2013 these tracks were all recorded on this massive studio setup it's called the studio a 800 2 inch 24 track via customized ssl 4000 so for all you tech geeks out there i'm sure that makes a lot of sense i'm just reading words for you right now <laughs> but i have seen it with my eyes and i'm thoroughly impressed and i'm looking forward to finding out more about how it actually all works so these rhythms are a mixture of steppers some modernized brentford road classics and some philly and al green flavored dubs i'm sure you heard some of that al green flavor coming through there I definitely did and these rhythms are already in demand by many artists from the UK Jamaica and the USA and the high-end resolution of the analog sound only reinforces the fact that tape is still the superior medium for sound recording so it's all on tape that's how mad professor rolls <laughs> pun intended hey it's been so much fun with you talking sound and building radios and uh, talking about music and how music has spread across the world and uh, dub music as the parent of so much electronic music in the world as well so i'm gonna go out with one last track i think we can just squeeze in just one last track uh, something that i think you'll enjoy it's called don't stop to malicia from south america it's been so much fun spending time with you all hopefully catch you soon uh, my socials i am sisters i s-i-s-t-a sister sister zai and i look forward to catching up with you all very soon on live seen through a sister's eye my upcoming podcast thanks again sisters aquismatica thank you again Muna art center take care everyone love you lots Para transpirar, no es requisito dejar de pensar Como profesor en el lugar, la estamos rompiendo, venite a saltar Porque para gozar, no es necesario nada material Estamos activos y despiertos, ni se acerca el bad mind Quieren imitarme, no falsifica mi energía Que lo siente, lo sabe, si es real o fantasía Sacude el cuerpo como si no hubiera otro día Ya, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop Quieren imitarme, no falsifica mi energía Que lo siente, lo sabe, si es real o fantasía Sacude el cuerpo como si no hubiera otro día Ya, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop Potente sonido con el que nos recargamos Juntos somos más fuertes y juntos nos levantamos Porque somos los guerreros que en el saumos lo bailamos No hacemos nosotros mismos como un día imaginamos Medita, podemos llegar tan lejos, no pidas Es mucho mejor hacerlo, construye Trabaja pa' fortalecerlo Don't stop, que no pare Don't stop, que no pare Quieren imitarme, no falsifica mi energía Quien lo siente lo sabe si es real o fantasía Sacude el cuerpo como si no hubiera otro día Yo Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop Quieren imitarme, no falsifica mi energía Quien lo siente lo sabe si es real o fantasía Sacude el cuerpo como si no hubiera otro día Yo Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop Quieren imitarme, no falsifica mi energía Quien lo siente lo sabe si es real o fantasía Sacude el cuerpo
tampoco como si no hubiera otro día. Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. Para bailar, para transpirar, no es requisito dejar de pensar. Como profesor en el lugar, la estamos rompiendo, venite a saltar. Porque para gozar no es necesario nada material. Estamos activos y despiertos, ni se acerca el Batman. Quieren imitarme, no falsifica mi energía. Quien lo siente, lo sabe si es real o fantasía. Sacude el cuerpo como si no hubiera otro día. Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. Medita, podemos llegar tan lejos, no pidas. Es mucho mejor hacerlo con Trabaja pa' fortalecerlo, don't stop Que no pare, don't stop, don't stop Quieren imitarme, no falsifica mi energía Quien lo siente, lo sabe si es real o fantasía Sacude el cuerpo como si no hubiera otro día Que don't stop, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop Quieren imitarme, no falsifica mi energía Quien lo siente, lo sabe si es real o fantasía Sacude el cuerpo como si no hubiera otro día Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop Medita, podemos llegar tan lejos, construye, trabaja para fortalecerlo, no pidas. <risa>